the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Sports fans are no better place to get breaking news, powerful stories, real-time commentary than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, get ad-free exclusive content at your fingertips. For all this and plenty, plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Sunday, Monday, whenever you're listening to this episode. Here's the deal today. Back end of the show, Matt Schneidman from The Athletic, Green Bay Packers beat reporter, continues our off-season series. Here's the deal with this. Uh, Matt and I collaborated on a piece for The Athletic, and he came to me a couple of weeks ago and said, look it, there's a... Uh, there's a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of hanging fruit. There's a lot of potential cap casualties. They're negative 46 on the cap right now. Let's put together a plan to see if we can get this thing remaining a contender and also cap healthy over the next couple of weeks. So Matt and I collaborated on a great piece for The Athletic, and we talked about it in the back end of the show. However, first time in three years doing this, my mic was not on. So <laughs> um, you're hearing me a little bit muffled coming through my computer screen. So full disclosure. Not going to be the consider, you know, the uh, the usual sounding Mike Gennetti in this interview, but Matt sounds great, and uh, a lot of his feedback and, and honestly insight on what the Packers might be, go, you know, staring the barrel down over the next couple of weeks was great. Um, certainly the Rogers stuff. I think a lot of the Devonta Adams stuff is going to be surprising to some of you in terms of what he's already said out loud before the season, during the season, and just re- recently a couple of days ago. So certainly worth your time to hear about. Um, those implications, because look, if you know our assumptions are correct, both those players are no, no longer Packers in a few weeks, which is going to have huge implications for the rest of the league, certainly for the rest of this NFL offseason. So uh, take a listen to what Matt has to say about that kind of thing. And certainly we get into the contracts as well for Rodgers, for Adams, uh, for Alan Lazard, a couple of other players on the defensive side of the ball. It's a big, big Packers deep dive at the back end of this show. Top of the show here in just a few seconds. NBA is starting to get into motion a little bit with this trade deadline, which is now three, three and a half days away here. You know, we're starting to get some names thrown out there. Um, I'm going to stay away from the Harden stuff at the time being. I just spent a couple of hours in Brooklyn myself. And he's not playing ball right now. So I can't tell you that it's not going to happen because all the symptoms, all the signs, all the smells are there that a trade could happen. And my guess is this. Brooklyn has interest as long as the haul is worth their time. And my guess is it's not just Ben Simmons, even though Simmons potentially has the better career in front of him, you know, is under term for much longer than James Harden, of course. But my guess is there's interest, but I'm not sure it's as definitive as some of these insiders have maybe led us to believe, which is their job, by the way. There's interest. That's enough for them to run with the story, to run with the headline. And to get this thing in motion, because if it happens, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to certainly turn, turn all of our focus to Ben Simmons, James Harden, and these two teams, and maybe specifically the Nets, because that's going to be a shot, a warning sign that, hey, this thing did not work out. I mean, we're only 18 months removed from Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden kind of all coming together. James Harden was 13 months ago joining the squad as the third key to the cog. So I think uh, just having interest. And having discussions is a bad sign for this franchise. And you can get it. Durant's hurt. Kyrie's playing half the games. And Harden is hurt. Slash maybe a little out of shape. Maybe a little in decline. All the above. So you can understand why there's a little bit of sentiment for what could be coming here. But I don't, I still don't think 
February 10th is the right time for that move. I still think that's an off-season move, even though that's bad news for Philly fans. But we do have some names here. So the point of my discussion here is not so much grading winners and losers. I'm going to let Keith Smith handle that stuff after the deadline because he's way better at it and has a much better handle on the basketball side of things, not just the contract side of things. So I'm going to stick to some of this, the trade compensation stuff. Because I try to do a halfway decent job of, of projecting, assessing, being able to kind of predict what, for instance, a tier two quarterback might cost in a trade or, you know, a number one wide receiver, which I think we could get a couple of moving this offseason. In terms of draft compensation, maybe a player coming back, things like that. The NBA is very fluid with this. Uh, you know, a first round pick in one condition, maybe a third of the price in the next trade. And that's exactly what we have here over the past couple of days. So you might, you might remember about ooh, three weeks ago now, the, big dro- the first big, uh, big domino dropped here, which was Cam Reddish leaving Atlanta on his rookie contract still, sending Kevin Knox on his rookie contract back to the Hawks from the Knicks. A couple of, uh, a highly protected first-round pick goes to Atlanta. Uh, I think that'll convey to a second at some point in time way down the line. So you're talking almost a two-for-one player trade in that regard. That makes sense to anybody who follows the sport somewhat closely because Knox has basically been a veritable bust for the Knicks. And Cam Reddish was kind of headed there. Certainly wasn't a fit. Certainly wasn't getting enough playing time amidst this ridiculously deep and unsuccessful Hawks team. So you can understand he just needed maybe uh, you know a new, a new court to jump on and get some more minutes and maybe be able to blossom a little bit. And the Knicks should be able to offer them and, and that with injuries, with you know, their mantra kind of is, let's just throw these kids out there and see what sticks. So I, I think that's a nice fit for him potentially. So that's three weeks ago. Since, you know, a cap dump kind of trade with Boston and Denver and San Antonio, a couple of names that moved around in terms of depth pieces. But February 4th, Friday was the big day where I think the wheels will really start to be turning here. Norman Powell, Robert Covington, the annual trade piece, go from Portland to the Clippers. I'll talk about that in a second. Portland gets back Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson. The latter two with certainly have some term left, right? Justice, Justice Winslow has one more year left through 2022-23 at just $4 million. Good value there. Potentially, you know, uh, maybe a top five guy for them based on where this roster might be in the next 12 to 18 months. Keon Johnson obviously just drafted number 21 overall. So the sky's the limit with a player like that. Um, shooting guard who goes to Portland, who very well may have a bigger role again after this offseason if Dame, if CJ McCollum are officially moved off this roster. This may be the starting point for that whole process in terms of ripping off the Band-Aid and starting anew in Portland. So to me, that's the takeaway from Portland's side. They also grabbed a, uh, a second-round pick from its Detroit's pick, so that shouldn't be you know too bad in 2025 think, unless they kind of really push themselves forward. But I want to talk about the Clippers because what you're going to see over the next couple of days, especially with the, the final trade I'm going to break down here, is, well, Norman Powell's the name thus far. He is the name. You know, you can say Reddish is a name because of where he was drafted, where he played college basketball for a cup of coffee. But Norman Powell's the name because he's had a season that makes him potential legitimate shooting guard one on a top five roster. So, that guy goes to an L.A. team that's minus Paul George, minus Kawhi Leonard, probably for the remainder of the season in a lot of cases here. 
kind of mishmashing pieces, veterans, role players together just to hang in this thing, you know, as it currently stands. LA's the eighth seed, just ahead of the Lakers, just behind the Timberwolves. Uh, the T was, by the way, I expect to be active over the next three days here. So the Clippers aren't out of it, but they're certainly in a tough spot in terms of falling into that contention pool or possibly getting themselves into conversations for that sixth seed if things go right. I think that this is huge upside. Huge upside. You're going to see people say, look, Norman Powell's contract is a poison pill. There's four years left, 75 million left on this sucker, okay? Excuse me, about 65 million left on this sucker. Tons of cash. Um, but if he can kind of hold the fort down, and his job right now is to push for that 60. His job is to play enough offense, Robert Covington to come in and play enough defense to bring that team one level forward to become not just an eight seed, but a six seed. That to me is a successful finish to this season. And then whatever they do in the playoffs is gravy at that point. But no Kawhi, no Paul George. That's just not how the NBA works anymore. You're not going to exist without those kind of players. You're bleeding $65 million of salary to two guys sitting in street clothes. So they're certainly behind the eight ball before this thing ever got kind of got going for them. And they're holding the fort down. So like I said, can this thing take them one more tier up this year? That's goal number one with this move. Goal number two is, okay, Kawhi's healthy. He took the proper amount of time to, to heal from that nasty injury. Paul George gets surgery, whatever it takes to get him healthy. Uh, you know, you never know with his, what his offseason might look like after maybe trying to push himself back onto this roster this year. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, Labrum no good, shoulder no good in terms of basketball player at his age. But let's assume they're both back for next October 2022-23. And certainly Powell now is four years to go on this contract, at least for the short term. He's part of this future. He's part of this. He's aligned with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, even though his contract kind of outlasts them. He's now the third piece. So while he's maybe being asked to do a, a ton over the next couple of months in a role that's unusual to him, but by the way, great showcase opportunity for him to be able to say, hey, I can do this when I need to. Come October, he's now in a role that he may be very comfortable with, but also can now mix and match, right? Some nights he can be, be the guy. Some nights he can be that third piece. Sometimes he can be the second piece. The Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, we're going to load manage, we're going to have injuries, but if there's enough opportunities for those three to play together, I think there's a real chance that this is a 2022 move that is extremely successful for the Clippers. Extremely successful. So, you know, what I'm, what I'm going to break down next is very, very immediate. This one, this is a two-piecer. This is a two-parter. So for me to tell you that Eric Bledsoe is expiring, you know, Justice Winslow, a player who was kind of just a guy inside of a, you know, a, a, there, was a, there were a line of Justice Winslow's on this team already in terms of what the Clippers have to offer right now. You know, the Morris brothers, that's just how it works right now. And then Keon, you know, Keon, again, again the, the potential on him is huge. Certainly the contractual value on him is huge. So those three pieces plus a, you know, a 2025 second round pick for short-term possibly, you know, playoff saving grace and long-term, longer term, potential one big three possibility with Paul, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I think you've given up almost nothing for that opportunity. 
Now, it might not work out. Powell may age out, and this might be a bust of a contract, like a lot of people say it might be. I just think the risk is worth that. For what you just gave up, it's worth that opportunity to, sa- to salvage this season slightly and give yourself, set yourself up possibly for a very good situation in October. So I have no qualms with this one. And in fact, contrast, compare with the, everything I just broke down with that trade against this Karis LeVert trade. Okay. It, you know, Scott Allen, Keith Smith, myself, we've had these talks over the past couple of weeks. Ricky Rubio was going to go. Expiring contract showed enough. Um, he's the kind of player you want to have right, bird rights for. If you're looking to rebuild, if you're looking to build around some youth, he just did it with Cleveland. He is that kind of guy. He's got, he's like a mini Chris Paul. You bring him on, he does his thing. I'm not sure how vocal he is in the locker room, but something's working with him around a group of kids that, you know, have the right attitude and, and, and have the know-how to get this thing to the finish line like the Cleveland Cavaliers basically have done this year. The problem with, for me with this trade is the price it took and the timing of this trade. To me, and you can say, look, you, you know, you're no longer building for multi-year situations. There's no more dynasties. You can't think like that. I just think this is an indication that Cleveland is all in one year too early. Let this thing mature a little bit. Moby's going to get there. You know, Jared Allen's yours. You stole that in this Harden situation. I mean, they just ripped that out of Brooklyn, basically out of need for Brooklyn's part and out of want from Cleveland's part. And it's worked out gangbusters. They got him under contract. Mobley's cost controlled for three years here. I just think this is reactionary. Karis LeVert plus a second. It's Miami's pick. So that means they're, they're going to slide down about 20 spots on that second round pick this year. So Karis, Karis LeVert plus that second for Rubio's expiring. A lottery protected first this year. Houston's second round pick at Indiana gets, which is going to be 30, what, 32nd, 33rd. And a 2027 second pick, which is Utah, which who knows? That's five years out. Huge picks. A guaranteed, almost guaranteed first this year. So basically a mid-20s and a low-30s pick in this year's draft for Karis LeVert and, you know, a slide down in the second round this year. Karis LeVert's got a year and a half left here. So, again, they're thinking short-term. And I agree with that in most cases. You can't build for four years. You know, Oklahoma City has absolutely no plan right now. None. They're just acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. And at some point, they're going to say, all right, it's probably time to start figuring this thing out from a player perspective. No plan. Cleveland was in that boat until Evan Mobley was drafted, until Jared Allen fell into their lap, right? Until Darius Carlin became the better point guard on the roster. And they, they realized they now have three point guards, legitimate point guards and three legitimate big men. And, you know, other teams will find this attractive when it comes trade time. So I think it was the right time to start to dabble and consider and throw some of these pieces out there a little bit and say, look, you know, we're in a position of power finally here. Let's not waste this. Now, my thinking is, though, their success, the reasons they're successful right now are not fluky. In fact, it's, there's, there's certainly luck with it, but it's something that they've created and now sustained and now have started to flourish. They've gotten better with it. All of us have expected them to fall off a cliff, and that's just, that's just simply not happening with this team because there's actually a stable situation right now with the game plan, with the coaching style, and certainly with the way the roster is constructed. That signifies 
you don't have to rush. You don't have to be overly reactive come trade deadline, come next off season. You can start to pick your spots and, and work out the absolute best fits. I'm not saying Karis LeVert isn't the best fit. He's an upgrade. And he's, a vet, he's got veteran experience. He's got playoff experience. He's also got a huge injury history. So there's risk. And you just gave up a lot. A lot more there than Norman Powell and Robert Covington cost Portland with four years and 60-some million left on, on Norman Powell's contract. So when you start to compare and contrast there, contractually speaking, you can say Laverts was safer because there's less money to pay. But I can't think like that with the NBA anymore. The NBA literally has Ben Simmons, $34 million sitting, I don't know, home playing video games. I don't even know what he's doing right now. Right? And yeah, he's being fined some of it. But there's a team that literally does not care about having to pay a player to not be there because that's how important a maximum trade value is to them. They do not care that they have to pay out tens and tens of millions of dollars, theoretically speaking, to a guy should be starting for another team right now, but the trade, the draft picks, the right player coming back means that much to them. That's, that's experience Daryl Morey at his very ruthlessness, I guess. That, but Cleveland has to taste that a little bit. Don't just throw it out there. Don't just rip back the first thing that's offered to you. And I'm not saying that's the case, and I'm not trying to say this is a terrible trade. I think Levert's going to bring some positives to this roster. I think it's an overpay, and I think it's way too early. Let this thing get to February 9th, you know, 11.55, and let this thing start to mature a little bit. Let the deadline get there. Let Indiana, who we know is going to sell pieces, Levert was going to go, all right? Sabonis should go, I'm not sure anymore, but should go. Let this thing get right up to that deadline and get the absolute best value you can, knowing they have to sell. They are going to sell. They want to get down in, in, in cap. They want to get down in tax for 2022. This is $19 million off their tax right now. All right? And versus an expiring Rubio, which is not going to be there next year, unless they dictate that with rights. This is the move they want to make. It's a cap dump. And you overpaid for a cap dump. He's going to help. He's going to improve the roster. Maybe immediately. Maybe I'm going to eat crow on this when, when they're in the you know, Eastern Conference Finals in a couple of months. To me, though, it's too early. It's too much. And it's maybe the wrong guy. I, I really want this team to go all the way back to the top and be contenders. The fifth right now. They're head of Toronto, head of Brooklyn, head of Boston, head of Atlanta. Come on. This is a hell of a year for them right now. I feel like they just rushed to this one. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I think the Norman Powell trade has pros and cons. And like I said, it's also a two-part trade in terms of what the Clippers are looking for to get out of it. This one seems to be, all right, we just got to get some experience. We got to get a little better, you know, maybe some, some better analytics across the board in terms of what LeVert can do as both a point guard and a shooting guard at times. I get that. He's a little bit more complete than the guys you have. But the, the singular role process, right? Jared Allen is a big man, but he's doing this for us. Evan Mobley is kind of the everybody, you know, the unicorn all over the place. I, I get, I, I like that Kevin Love comes in as kind of the closer now. I like that. I think there were defined roles and they maybe just rushed into shaking up that process a little. We'll see how it plays out, but it's an overpay for sure. Is it the wrong move is what we have to find out in a couple of months. Well, let's talk some Green Bay Packers with Matt Schneidman. All right, we're joined here by Matt Schneidman, the Green Bay Packers beat for The Athletic. Matt, welcome. Appreciate your work on this piece and joining the show. I appreciate your help with it. 
Yeah. Uh, I did not take a math class in college. I, <laughs> I tested well enough on my AP statistics test my junior year of high school. So I haven't done math like that in a while. And I wasn't about to on a story of this importance. So that's why I asked you. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's really well built out for those of you who haven't seen it. We'll be uh, posting the link along with this show for sure. Um, kind of a, you know, your, your, your plan for me was to build out a plan for you, right? Like, how is this offseason going to work? And I don't think it's the plan we expect to happen. Is, am I incorrect <laughs> in saying that? No, you're correct. You yeah. know, I, I've said all along, I think that they're going to trade Aaron Rodgers and we'll get into it. But um, that's just a hunch that that's not anything specifically I've been told because I don't think he's come to that decision yet. He said he would by, you know, February 22nd to give Devontae Adams enough time to make his decision about whether he wants to sign the franchise tag or whatnot. Uh, yeah. And we'll get into that as well. But um, I, I still think he and Devontae Adams both get traded. Is it a one-two punch? Because that's how I see it. That's how I see it too. Uh, I really don't see them playing for separate teams. I see two options. They're both Denver Broncos or they're both Green Bay Packers. I still think they're the best, you know, QB wide receiver tandem in the league. All year, Rodgers would talk about there's no such thing as forcing it to Devontae because he can get open on anything. Like he set the franchise uh, single season record for receptions this year. He's had by far the most touchdowns in the league since 2016 of any wide receiver. Like he's just been dominant on a, on a future Hall of Fame trajectory. I do think sometimes... Rodgers maybe doesn't look elsewhere as much as he should, but for good reason. It's, it's Devontae Adams. Most times that's going to work out. Now, this is a what have you done for me lately league. Yeah. And, you know, the last throw that we'll remember from the Packers season is Aaron Rodgers missing a wide open Alan Lazard on that deep crosser and instead throwing a bomb into double coverage uh, and, and Devontae was unable to come down with it. So Certainly you can look at that and say he forced that one and he'll tell you that too. But 99.9% .9 of the other times he'll say, if you have Devontae Adams, why wouldn't you try and throw it to him as much as you can? <laughs> I can't disagree with that. <laughs> um, I, I just can't. All right. So, so for purposes of this show and, and let's follow the plan you gave, you gave me for the piece, which was let's just assume that there's a way that the Packers can bring Aaron Rodgers back. And after that, you know, a snowball effect sort of happens, right? Cause it's no longer, well, if we have Jordan Love and we, we know kind of what we don't have in Jordan Love, maybe we have to really pull some strings backwards instead of, you know, maybe not a full rebuild, but really reshuffle some pieces that we wouldn't do if Aaron Rodgers was still here. So uh, the exercise is Aaron Rodgers is here. And let me ask you this question off the top. I, I laid out a contract for your piece that's aggressive, maybe too aggressive for most teams, but do you think it has to be this aggressive three years, 120 million fully guaranteed something in that line to get Aaron Rodgers to bite to stay? Or do you think that either things are mended up a little bit more and that he will think more team friendly in order to negate the rebuilding that he's already come out and say he will not be here for? It's possible. Um, you know, I've been covering Aaron for three seasons now and gotten to know him a little bit and I don't say this as a disparaging comment, but my hunch says he won't take a team-friendly deal. He hasn't ever. Like, he hasn't ever. That's, why it, I, that's why I give you the numbers again. Exactly. Never not maxed out. Right. And, and um, that's not to say, oh, he should. He's being selfish. Like, these guys, you never know when your career is going to get cut short. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen in your next phase of life. You should get as much money as you deserve. I remember a, a quick tangent. I asked Devontae Adams before the season started, 
would you be open to taking less than highest paid wide receiver in the league money if it meant you got to stay here with Aaron? And he said, no, I'm going to be the highest paid wide receiver in the league because <laughs> that's what I deserve. I've earned it. So I think they're both kind of built the same way. Now, I went with, and I'm, I'm looking at it here, the two-year extension, the two-year $92 million extension, because, listen, I, I don't know how much longer he'll want to play. I think him and the team are at a good enough spot where he won't want to, you know, screw them over by signing, let's say, a three- or four-year extension. And then after this season being like, nah, I'm done, uh, you know, whatever. And, and then let's say they trade Jordan Love after they extend him, and then they're in no man's land since they don't have a single quarterback. I don't think he would do that to them. But uh, I don't see him taking a team-friendly deal, which will make it a little bit harder to build that contender around him. Um, but I still think uh, it's possible to do so as we kind of laid out. Okay. Um, and I agree with you. And by the way, that two for 92, that new extension, new money, that's on purpose. That, that's where I started this entire exercise because that's 46 million a year. So that surpasses Patrick Mahomes. You can put 120 out there fully guaranteed. That blows Josh Allen's guarantee at signing out of the water, which I think he would be wanting to do as, mm -hmm. as a bit of a pushback on these young guys getting paid way too early, I think, in his thoughts. Um, and, and look, all of his contracts are heavily front-loaded. I mean, he made $90 million in like 18 months on that last contract, some absurd number. Uh, so maybe in that regard, the cash flow can be a little bit more team-friendly to get a guy like Devontae Adams back. He's never had that situation before where right. – He's not just the guy that they need to sign. There's, there's a lot of mouths to feed here. Um, and they were pretty frivolous with last season, I think, ramping up for a situation they knew they were going to be in right now in order to try to retain this. But you, you mentioned it, and let's get to that right now. Um, that's the plan, right? Sign Aaron Rodgers to two years out, three years total, and then trade Jordan Love. That has to be in the plans. You're not keeping Jordan Love as the backup quarterback anymore, right? If you can get a second, a third round pick and free up almost 2 million cap space. I, I would agree, but we're talking about the one franchise who did see Aaron Rodgers sit for three years and become what he is today. Granted, that doesn't really happen in the NFL today anymore, mm -hmm. but if there's one team in the NFL who really values the backup quarterback spot, I would say it's the Green Bay Packers, as we've seen over the last you know, 15, 20 years. Now, the question is, how good is Jordan Love? We, we don't truly know because he had his rookie preseason wiped out because of COVID, was never active for a game his rookie year because he was the third stringer behind Aaron Rodgers and Tim Boyle. And then this preseason, he suffers, it was an elbow or a shoulder injury, so he missed, uh, I think it was like a game and a half, and there was only a three-game preseason, and then he plays only one and a half games this year in Arrowhead where he did not play well at all, kind of on short notice after Rodgers tested positive for COVID in the second half of a meaningless game against Detroit when he did not play well either. So the Packers inside that building have an idea of what they have in him. They're not going to say it publicly mm -hmm. because my hunch is it might not be all that great. <laughs> I, st I still do think it's a little unfair to jump to any grand judgments about what he is or what he'll become just because we haven't seen him that much. But that's the bed the Packers have made for themselves. That's what Brian Gutekunst did when he drafted Jordan Love 26th overall in 2020. My guess, they'll never say this publicly, but he thought Aaron Rodgers was on the decline and he thought it would be one, two more years. Guess what? Here, here we are. He's about to be the back-to-back -back MVP. Yeah, he hasn't played great in the playoffs, but Aaron Rodgers still gives you the best chance to win. 
easily by far and away over Jordan Love. So all this, let's just see what Love has. Let, let's see what he has and move on from Rodgers, get whatever we can in return. That's not what the Green Bay Packers do because they very well know that what they have in Love might not be anywhere near good enough. No, I think that's probably right. Um, I guess the only reason I would say you go get anything right now for Jordan Love is to have that down quarterback year in the draft, right? There's not going to be a lot of teams. If Aaron Rodgers stays, that's one less quarterback in the carousel free agency slash trades. Who knows what's going to happen with Russell Wilson? I just think there, there may be some teams that desperately need at least a flyer like Jordan Love would be, right? And, and and I do think there's a bit of an unknown, maybe enough unknown to get a mid-round pick for him still right now with that rookie contract, you know, two years of value still left. So I'd float it out there. You're probably right. There's probably a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth with him. Right. But if you've got Rodgers locked up, I think the time to strike is definitely right now. All right, wide receivers. It's a mess. Oof. It's an absolute mess. And, and I, we're talking Devontae, and most people are because he's the superstar, but the entire core could be gone. The entire, the entire thing could be gone. Randall Cobb for cap purposes, um, you know, Devontae, because he's Devontae and they may just simply not be able to pay him. Um, Alan Lazard on a second year tender who could, who could very well get a restricted offer sheet put on him. You know, I mean, he's that kind of guy that, that many teams love to front load a restricted offer sheet contract for that they know in their current state of cap right now, the Packers simply cannot match. So you got to be really careful about how you handle him. And maybe it's an extension before the tender to get that one done. And then, you know, both Rogers and, and scan, you know, and MBS are out there saying, we got, we want to run this back. <laughs> He's an $8 million wide receiver right. on a minimum right now. So you're going to have to be really careful about how this works because you want to be able to keep Rogers happy, keep the organization healthy, but also how do you get out of this cap mess? So where do you see this going? Any kind of turnover, or are they just going to try to run it all back? No, I don't think they can. I mean, I think they have to bring Devontae back. I remember Brian Gutekunst said before the season, because right on the eve of training camp, uh, I reported, and, and I think Ian Rappaport did as well uh, before I did, that they had broken off extension talks with Devontae because Devontae and Frank Bauer, his agent, wanted to be highest paid wide receiver in the league in terms of average annual value. Um, and Brian Gutekunst, when I asked him, he said, it, when I asked him for his definition of, of highest paid wide receiver, because he said, oh, I think Devontae deserves to be that too. I was like, well, there's some sort of disconnect, because if you both believe that, then you would have gotten a deal done. And he was like, oh, I'm not going to go into specifics or whatever. So I know, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins' contract is structured so that you know the agent can kind of use that as leverage to be like, oh, well, even though Julio Jones is whatever, five and a quarter million below him in terms of average annual value, Devontae wants to be highest paid, put him up to 28 or even 30. I don't see the Packers doing that. By the way, let me cut in on this because you're dead right. And whatever discussions you were having were spot on. That DeAndre Hopkins number is complete fluff. Right. It, it, it was two years tacked on to three years that existed. And all of the new money got dumped into those back years, which he's probably never going to see. It, it, he is not a $27 million wide receiver. He's not even close. Um, so to me, the number is still 25 and that's, mm -hmm. he's, he's a $26 million receiver in our system. To me, that's the number. And I think where you're about to head here and, and I, I apologize for jumping in. No, you're good. Is, is you probably think Gutekinds is in, in my boat, which is 27 is not the number. And also we should be talking about guarantees here. We should be talking about what this thing looks like over the next three years in terms of guaranteed cash flow. because what else matters? Because Hopkins contract in that regard is garbage. It's absolute garbage. 
It's backloaded. It's old school. And the numbers can say what they want, but what, they, what it really gets down to cash in hand, it's not what he should be looking for. So um, I don't know where Adams is thinking, but that's the wrong number to be looking at if, he's, if that's him, what his agent are looking for. So I agree with you on that, Matt. Yeah, I, I think both sides, at least before the season, seem to be pretty set in stone. Yeah. Now I don't know if Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball, uh, the Packers cat man, will be able to – talk them off that ledge of that 28 or 30 or whatever. Um, but Devante deserves whatever money he's going to get because, you know, he, he's worth whatever team's willing to pay him. I think it'll be fascinating to see what they do with MVS. I think he's too expensive. Um, yeah, he's a nice deep threat who, who has the occasional game of four catches for 120 and a touchdown. But he's, he was hurt way too much this year. And, and I, I just don't think he's consistent enough in all the other stuff outside the occasional 70-yard touchdown catch to bring him back at that cost. Now, we talked about in the story, Randall Cobb, with his connection with Rodgers, and he was actually really coming on nicely. He had four catches for 95 yards and a touchdown before he had that core muscle injury that that had him miss the last six weeks of the season or whatever. I think you got to cut him to free up that cap space and and get him back. I'm not saying he's going to retire. I don't see him signing with any other team as a free agent other than one that has Aaron Rodgers on it. And, and if that's green Bay, then, then that's green Bay. Lazard's interesting because I remember last year I thought, you know, Robert Tunyon just had 11 touchdown catches. And if they slap a second round tender on him, another team who's in better cap shape can probably entice him with an extension. Um, they didn't. And, and the Packers got to keep him on that second round tender. I could see the same thing happening with Lazard just because he's kind of that, all right, this was kind of his first real breakout season. He has played well the last couple of years, but not as well as he did down the stretch this year, uh, plus everything else he does in the run game and, and everything else. I could see them getting away with that second-round tender. So I, I think if I had to guess, Lazard, Cobb, and Adams are all back, and then they let St. Brown and, and Valdez Scantling walk, and then they'll obviously need to draft someone else. Uh, high in the draft makes sense makes a lot of sense let's flip to the uh, defensive side of the ball here quickly because there's a lot to talk about in terms of expirings uh, possibly some cap casualties and maybe a big time extension as well Uh, let's start with the casualty Uh, you you and I kind of battled on this one we both have uh, different opinions and by the way I think the majority of the opinions are on your side which is that of the Smiths (laughs) (laughs) Darius and that big cap number are probably the ones that have to go so uh, you're restructuring Preston Smith to keep him around, whether that's a brand new contract or just simply pushing the current salary down a little bit um, and just letting Zadarius Smith walk out of this contract and into free agency. Is that what you're, what you're proposing here? That's what I'm proposing. And there are a couple of reasons why. First of all, let me, let me preface this by saying when they're both on their A game, Zadarius Smith is far better than Preston Smith. But you said it, as cliche as it is, the best ability is availability. And Zedarius was in and out of camp this year, had a mysterious back injury, came back and played 18 snaps in week one, then didn't play again until, you know, the playoffs. And then there's the aspect of Zedarius. So the last two years, 2019, 2020, his first two years on the team, the players voted for one captain in each phase. So they voted Aaron Rodgers, the captain for the offense, Mason Crosby, captain for special teams, and Zedarius, the captain for the defense in both of his first two years on the team. This year, 
players voted three captains in each phase. So they voted, uh, or it might've been one on special teams, maybe just Crosby on special teams, but on offense, it was Rogers, Adams, and Mercedes Lewis. On defense, it was Adrian Amos, Kenny Clark, and Jair Alexander. So Zedarius didn't even get one of the three. And he was upset about that. He, he tweet, I forget exactly what he tweeted, but there seemed, there seemed to be, and I don't know if this is still the case, a little more than just the uh, injury stuff and the lack of production because he was hurt. There seemed to be something off the field in the locker room that what just wasn't clicking between him and the team. Um, maybe that's repaired now. But if you're asking me at this stage in their careers, do I want a guy in Preston Smith who everybody in that locker room loves, who's missed only one game in his entire career, who can be a really reliable number two behind Rashawn Gary, who I think is ready to take the reins as the number one? Mm-hmm. Or do I exactly? <laughs> or do I want a Zedarius Smith who who knows what his injury deal is going to be? Um, I'm assuming he's all bought in, but there is still kind of that question mark. I would take Preston and save a little bit of the money because if you bring Zedarius back, you know, yes, having him and Rashawn Gary would be one of the best pass rushing duos in the NFL. But I, I think Rashawn's ready to take that number one role. And I think the Packers showed this year they can do just fine with, with Rashawn and Preston. And, and this is one of those instances where you, you might have to pinch pennies a little bit when yeah. you're choosing which Smith to take. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Let's get to that secondary. You mentioned Jairo Alexander. He's up for a contract extension. Uh, it's a it's a bad time for him to be in that boat because he missed yeah. quite a bit of that season with injury. It's kind of his first uh, down season in that regard in terms of availability and you know a little, little bit of lack of production as well. You know he's a sixteen million dollar guy in my system right now, which is top five still. So I think Green Bay still floats that offer at him. I think there's no way he accepts it, knowing where he was drafted, knowing where that market is right now, over twenty million a year. Um, but look for cap purposes, they really want to get this done. They can really save some some dollars here and, and help the rest of the roster out. Is there a bit of an overpay coming in terms of what he's actually worth because of the, the lack of maybe the slower start to this rookie career, or uh, is there going to be a waiting game on Jair Alexander? That's a great question. I know his agent, John Thornton a little bit, and I know uh, that he will want Jair to be the highest paid corner in the league. Now, after last season, when he's the second team all pro at age 23 in his third season in the league, um, you know, he seemed to be on track to, to get that post, not post Jalen Ramsey, but extension that, you know, went above Jalen Ramsey. If he kind of replicated that success this year, the problem with J- and it's not a problem the thing with Jair is, you know, he doesn't take the ball away enough. And that's primarily because they don't throw at him. enough. That's right. It's the Rebus um, problem. Exactly. So maybe the team tries to use that as kind of, a, all right, let, let's give him a couple couple fewer dollars but i agree with you i could see them saying you know what one good season of jair and he's right at the top of that market so the packers aren't going to let him get away whether it's this off season or or next off season because they still have him for the fifth year but i I could see them if he puts in another good season this year uh, at an all pro level i could see uh them wiping out that fifth year option and saying, here's a new deal. Here's an extension. Let's, let's give you this and, and we'll make you the highest paid in the league. I think that's right. And, and let me throw this wrinkle into it too. And it, you know, it goes to guys like Gary and, and maybe even Jenkins, who we can talk about a bit, but um, you know, they're in cap trouble now and it won't take them long to get out of it. We've seen teams get out of three times in this kind of trouble. Um, but 2023 is a big year for the NFL. 
I mean, if we're at a $200 million cap right now, we could be at 230 next year because of where this TV money is coming, the, you know, the recovery from the pandemic. I'm hearing 230 is the, the low number for 2023 salary cap. So when we're talking about extensions, when we're talking about free agent contracts over the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a lot of structure that says we're going to give, we're, we're going to have a bit of a discount this year. And maybe it's a nice signing bonus that we can spread out over five years, but we're going to, we're going to maximize your earnings in year two. We're going to, we're going to put a massive roster bonus or a massive base salary into year two, knowing we can restructure that, but also we can handle that cap because, the, because of the big boost that everybody's getting next year in terms of 2023. So you may be able to go 21 million a year on Jair Alexander and make it look like 18 million a year right. for the next three years because of that, because the league's going to bail them out from a cap perspective. So I think that's right. Look, here's what I've learned that we're doing about 15 years of doing this. If you're drafted high and you have one good season as a rookie over your rookie contract, if you're a high first round pick and you, and you show that you have the ceiling, the potential to, to be worth that first round pick, you're getting a maximum contract. It's just right. how it works. So the agents are good enough, strong enough, and, and this league has too much money to not have that happen. So I would expect it at this point that that would be the massive contract extension after Aaron Rodgers if that gets done. So to me, those are the two that have to get done. What else has to get done in terms of contracts on this roster? Let's kind of finish off on that, Matt. Yeah, I mean, in terms of extensions or just any, any sorts of moves? You tell me. You tell me, because I, I think there yeah. are probably a few more bodies that they have to feed here. There's yep. probably a couple more cap cuts. We, we mentioned Billy Turner in the piece. They could probably lose one player off that offensive line, and he kind of has the most cap to free up. Mm -hmm. uh, but that probably means signing Elgin Jenkins, right, after, after the versatile year he just showed. Yeah, it's tough for him because he's coming off that torn ACL, and yeah. uh, he, he tore his ACL in Week 11. so. I, I don't know if he's going to be ready. Um, David Bakhtiari, I mean, he, he played one game this season and he tore his ACL uh, on New Year's Eve in 2020. You never know how those big guys are going to respond, especially when they need all that mobility in their knee. Now, <clears throat> I'm reading what, what you wrote about Jenkins. You're right. If, if Green Bay doesn't have Bakhtiari, because I know you pointed out they have an out after this coming season, Jenkins' agent may say, you know, we're not signing a, a, an extension now. We want the left tackle money because he's proven he's a starting caliber left tackle and then some in this league. Yeah. So they may say, nope, we'll, we'll wait for that left tackle money. I think that really makes sense. I, I, the Packers are going to want to get it done now, but there is no way an agent for him does that. And, and, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks to represent guys like Jenkins because they're not going to let that happen. I think we got to cut Billy Turner. He played really well for the first 12 games, but um, this is just a, a pinch and pennies thing. And, and Yash Nyman, the 2019 undrafted guy out of Virginia Tech, he showed that he can, he can step in and really play left tackle well. So if Bakhtiari is back healthy, I think you can slide Yash over to right tackle. As much as it pains Packer fans, I think this Mason Crosby has never missed a regular season game or playoff game since the Packers drafted him in 2007. He's been up... Up and down, but he is the model of consistency in terms of availability. But he missed 10 field goals this year, playoffs included. Regular season, most missed field goals among kickers with at least one attempt per game. Uh, you know, that 2.4 cap hit, you got to get him out of here. As great as he's been for this franchise over the years. They protected a guy named J.J. Molson, a 2020 undrafted kicker out of UCLA last year um, on the practice squad all season. So I think he, he's uh, who they're eyeing. I know you mentioned restructures for Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones, Preston Smith. 
then the extension for Jair. Then all, all I see else here is stuff to do after the new league year. Uh, I think one, two, two guys I want to touch on before we get out of here. We won't, we won't mess around with all the exclusive rights guys and, and the lower level unrestricted big guys. Yeah. Yeah. Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas. Uh, I think Packer fans would be ecstatic to get just one of those guys back. They'd be over the moon and, and pinching themselves to get both. But if we're, if we're proposing here, they get Rogers and Adams. I think it's uh, only feasible to get one of those guys back. And I think Campbell's more important just because of how much of a game changer he was. Douglas was great. Don't get me wrong, but they had, they have Eric Stokes and, and Jair Alexander on the outside. So they're set for the future. Okay. I like it. I got to ask you one more thing as we get out of here. Cause I, I feel like we always kind of um, forget the running backs. Right? <laughs> time of a, Man, it's just a weird situation for them. Is there regret with the Aaron Jones contract, Matt? Because look, I'm hearing people say, well, you know, there's it's 48 million. It's not 48 million dollars. It's actually a one year. They can get out of it right now if they want. Correct. Before, before March 19th, they can get out of this thing basically on a one year deal. Um, so it was extremely unstable when he signed it. But if Aaron Rodgers is here, AJ Dillon looks like he's a guy, but you can't just have one, right? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I didn't mention this as a possibility to save cap space. Right. It's possible to trade, move on from Aaron Jones in some capacity and save cap space. I'm just wondering if that's too much of a liability. To do. I, I'm looking at your site right now. And this year he has a cap hit of 9 million dead cap of 9.75. Right. So you'd have to do it with June 1st in mind, right? Exactly. But then next year, I, I think when he signed that deal, that Drew Rosenhaus advertised as the four-year 48, which is fine because that's his job as an agent. But uh, we, we kind of said, all right, two more years, and then, then I could see them parting ways. Because in 2023, he has a cap hit of $19.25 million <laughs> and dead cap of only six and a half. I think A.J. Dillon's going to be a star. I, I think he's really good. Um, Aaron Jones was a little banged up late in the season, and he's, and he's still better as a pass catcher than A.J. Dillon. But A.J. Dillon is a beast. Short yardage, goal line. Don't get me wrong. Aaron Jones is a really good running back, Pro Bowl-level guy. But A.J. Dillon's the future here. And I could see them dipping back into the draft to get a guy uh, to complement with Dillon after this season just because they saw how it worked out with drafting him um, in the second round in 2020. I think if they want to, uh, they, they could certainly part ways with Aaron Jones after this season. That, that has been my hunch all along. But I, I think the Packers really like this two-back system. Um, they, can, they have a 1A and 1B is what Matt LaFleur called it. They don't see them as starter and backup. Not a lot of teams can have that. Um, so having a, a great running game alleviated some of that pain this year of that makeshift offensive line, kind of not letting teams just pin their, pin their ears back and rush Aaron Rodgers. So. I think one more year with Jones and Dylan, and then and then Dylan takes the reins after this season. Makes sense, Matt. Good stuff, man. Great piece. Happy to work on it with you. And uh, there's plenty of more work for, for you on the Athletic, the Green Bay Packers beat for the Athletic. Matt Schneidman, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Great talk. Thanks again for your help. All right, my thanks again to Matt. You can check him out at the Athletic, of course. And check out the piece. I'll be tweeting that out this week, along with our link to this podcast, of course. It is a in-depth deep dive about the Green Bay Packers. As you just heard, him and I kind of break down some of those bullet points. Plenty more to talk about that Matt actually uh, did some deep dives in himself for sure. 
My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off and read that article a little bit cheaper. Of course, Scott Elliman is Mike Janay. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track. Podcast.